Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Kelsey Farrington and Johan Koshi, two of the editors behind New Internationalist. The magazine was started in 1970 as a way of raising awareness of the vast inequalities between the developed world and the post-colonial global south, and it continued that mission for the last 49 years, publishing as a monthly title right up until last summer, when it went through a major overhaul to relaunch as a bi-monthly magazine. In this conversation, Kelsey and Johan explained the thinking behind the magazine's switch to that slower production cycle and the changes that are helping them to continue that original mission in today's media and political environment. They also speak about the magazine's very flat, non-hierarchical cooperative structure and about the community share offer they ran a couple of years ago, giving their readers the opportunity to literally buy a piece of the magazine. The money and stability they gained from that seems to have given them a real sense of confidence and provided the impetus for the bold changes they made last year. So I'm really pleased to have caught up with them at this point and I hope you enjoy hearing this story story about the ambitious evolution of New Internationalist. Okay, Kelsey, Johan, thank you very much for making the journey, uh, not just to Somerset House, but to London. Yeah, all the way from Oxford. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks very Thanks much for having us. us. Yeah. 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 So, um, you guys uh, both work on the New Internationalist. Normally, when I'm speaking to magazine makers, I'm talking to the person who had the idea in the first place and they started making this magazine. That is not the case for you. So maybe you could tell us a bit about the magazine's history and, and where it came from. Yeah, um, you're right. It, it, it's uh, Although we've just redesigned and relaunched the magazine, it has a long history, particularly for small magazines. Um, it's founded, it started in 1970. Um, it was originally called The Internationalist. Yeah. Uh, and it was founded by Peter Adamson and Leslie Adamson, who are sort of founding editors. But, um, so it started off uh, as this magazine, which was originally funded by Oxfam yeah. and another NGO, Save the Children, Christian Aid. Um, and the idea was that this was the early 1970s, a lot of uh, countries had become newly independent. So this is kind of the post-colonial era, which kind of starts in the 1950s. And so along with that independence came a new awareness of the vast inequalities that existed in the world, between the rich world and the poor world. Um, and a lot of people in the rich world who were interested in activism and social justice and all these ideas uh, were starting to understand just how much what we now call the global south had been exploited by uh, countries who used to colonize, you know, basically parts of, the, of this world. And so its original kind of founding spirit was to kind of look at these huge inequalities between the rich world and the poor world and work out how we can fix them. And hence internationalism, right? So that, that, idea, that idea, which is in the name of the magazine, was all about uh, don't think about uh, your immediate, uh, don't only think about your immediate surroundings or the country in which you happen to be born, particularly if it's a rich country. Think about all the relationships between countries. 
Um, and so that's how it starts in Oxford, which is um, where Oxfam is actually still based. I only found out when I started working for the magazine that Oxfam is called Oxfam because it's the Oxford Famine Relief, yeah. which um, was, itself was founded in the 1940s. Um, and so that's why we're based in Oxford. And a year later, I think because maybe there was another magazine with a similar type, it's one of those things where all of a sudden a new appears at the beginning of your name. And so we became new internationalist. Um, and so that would have been in 73. Yeah. Um, and the first issue of the New Internationalist on its front cover had uh, a photograph of Kenneth Kaunder, who was the first uh, president of Zambia, uh, a country in southern Africa. And uh, the cover story was a profile and interview with him talking about um, apartheid, which was obviously still going on in South Africa at the time, in southern Africa. Uh, and it kind of set out its stores, this magazine, as quite a radical political magazine that was going to interview people who didn't make the front cover of the other magazines and newspapers in Britain at the time and would really give them space to talk about their quite um, transformative ideas for changing relationships, particularly economic relationships between, rich, between the rich world and the poor world. And so that's, a, yeah, a long time ago now. <laughs> that's... Um, yeah, sort of over 40, almost 50 years now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the magazine has, has uh, persisted since then. It, it was a monthly but all that time uh, until September of 2018, last year, yeah. when we relaunched and redesigned and became a bi-monthly publication. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's talk about some of these changes then, because it yeah. strikes me just from what you've said so far, you're operating in a very different world now. So different in terms of media, in terms of, you know, in 73, a print magazine was probably the, one of the best ways of getting your content in front of a lot of people. Politically, as you say, in the 70s, there's this rising awareness of the global south and this, you know, the, the, the um, I guess the move towards a, a greater kind of equality globally, whereas now we have this rise of nationalism and people well, literally building walls. Yeah. <laughs> so how does all of this feed into the, the changes you've made and the magazine that we see today? Oh. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the whole landscape of media is changing. But I mean, you, as you know this at Stack, I mean, the, the whole independent magazine scene is something that's really exciting at the moment. Um, and most of our readers, I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty um, mixed group of people. I mean, we mm. have quite a lot of older readers still, but because most of the time we're, we're getting new subscribers through students, like student events, um, open days. So we have that real mix. And I think, that mixture, they, they're they still reading printed publications and the type of content we do, I think it does it does suit the, the print version as well. So we continue to do that. And because of the whole kind of independent magazine scene, mm -hmm. and we all thought, well, this is something we want to continue doing. We don't want to kind of go down the same route as some of the other, you know, newspapers that have just kind of mm -hmm. gone completely digital. Mm -hmm. And we knew that in certain parts of the world where we have subscribers, like in Australia, for example, despite the redesign where we're, the digital subscriptions are still going up and up and up. Mm -hmm. We're not really having that in other places, really. The print subscriptions since the re relaunch have actually started to go up and up and up and up. Um, so there's definitely a real want and a need for 
our content. And I think it gives people a break as well mm. from looking at everything on the computer. I mean, I know I feel that way mm -hmm. personally. I'm mm -hmm. constantly bombarded with stuff on my screen and I don't know where to kind of go for information. And I think with New Internationalist, you get a kind of um, time out and you're not only getting all the issues that you kind of need to understand what's going on in the world, but you're also hearing from completely unique voices and from voices from the countries that are being affected by climate change, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's really important. That's always going to be important um, in terms of changes with the magazine. It's, I mean, if you've seen it, what it used to look like, it's a complete, complete revamp. This is the biggest re redesign we've ever had at the magazine. Um, we did a redesign in 2010 and it was very subtle and a lot, a lot of people didn't actually notice. So this time around, it was post our um, community share offer. And, um, you know, that was one of our promises we made to our co-owners was to invest money into our print journalism because our magazine is our main arm. It's, it's what people know, you know, about us. That's, that's kind of the first way into knowing about New Internationalists. We publish books, we have an ethical shop, but it's mostly the magazine, it's our journalism. And I, I imagine, like, really good news for you that after the redesign, you've seen subscriber numbers growing because yeah. that suggests that, I mean, I, I, I imagine that you're always going to have a, a readership who are involved in international development. You say that the students are, are important, but it seems to me that the changes you've made are pushing towards that more generalist readership and obviously there are a lot more generalists out there than there are specialists so I mean was this at the heart of the, the changes you were making? I don't know if we were thinking specifically about journalists one, th one thing I suppose you always do have in mind is the newsstand yeah. like the figure of the newsstand is like always in the back of our minds and I guess um, you know NI is available in most a lot of WH Smiths and so when we're thinking about covers particularly we are picturing our set picturing commuters people uh, about to get along on a long train journey who are thinking I'd rather look at my phone actually I'll just buy a magazine and read it properly and so in that sense we do have that generalist um, sort of perspective in mind but when it, I don't think it was the guiding spirit when we were thinking of the redesign yeah. and, and the relaunch I mean yeah you're right there's there's always been that cohort of, of subscribers with us since the 70s actually who were kind of very much would have worked in or were into international development and all these fields um and a lot of them are still with us, actually, yeah, oh, yeah. for 30, yeah. 40 years. They're probably our core. Yeah. Um, you know, they write the most dedicated letters mm -hmm. and you know, they're the ones who will pick us out on, on grammatical errors <laughs> or on political errors. <laughs> Anything get wrong. Yeah, exactly. And it's great. Um, yeah. And then we have, like, yeah, those students um, who, because you were talking about sort of the political changes that are happening, I guess you have, since 2008, particularly in the 2008 crisis, and then the student movement in the UK and Occupy, and then all the stuff that's been happening over the past decade, really, we've had new people finding us who are in the younger sort of spectrum, yeah. Yeah. and then that older cohort. And then I guess perhaps the, the, the newsstand is the place where that, that centre ground yes, of, yeah. uh, of generalists could, normal, normal people, <laughs> in quotation marks, uh, could, uh, could, could come across us. But when we were redesigning, we were just thinking... Um, we are thinking actually about our subscribers. Subscribers, hardcore subscribers, and giving them something that lasted a bit longer because, you know, the, you talked about the older subscribers. Some of them have every single copy of the magazine and, you know, the monthly magazine, and they've kept them. And I find that absolutely astonishing. Yeah. But, you know, we wanted something that helped because with the monthly production, 
time, it felt like we just never had a break on the editorial team. And, you know, that's kind of, that's been the case since the beginning, I'd imagine. I mean, it must have been much harder when it was pre-digital production. Um, But we did want something that would last longer. So with the um, previous look of the magazine, it definitely had a more kind of, I wouldn't say throwaway, it wasn't the same thing as a weekly, but it didn't have the same kind of um, feel to it. And we had a lot of people write into us and when we asked for feedback and when we were pre, you know, pre-redesign, we are doing, gathering all this information about what people wanted from us as a magazine. So many people said, I just don't get around to reading it. You know, it comes every month and it's just, it, it's another thing I need to do. Yeah, and then it so starts then, to make you feel bad. Exactly. The, the, and, and so I guess in terms of the visual cues, probably the, the biggest difference in the redesign is before on the cover you had the red bar yeah. with the the logo in white so very kind of like a news weekly mm. yes that's gone now and so i suppose you're aiming more towards something which is a little bit yeah it's more luxurious in a way it gives people a kind of um more value for their money i think as well um and definitely more of a keepsake it's something that i feel like and and from in a really practical point of view the new format will last longer if you put this into your backpack it's not going to get rumpled up so easily and you know you can yeah. if you accidentally spill something it's not going to be completely ruined which yeah. the old magazine that that always happened um yeah. it just didn't last as long so that's important because now this is bi-monthly yes exactly yes you so want you- people to have more time to read it you want it to last a bit longer and you want it you know from a i hate saying this but you know, we always, when we're looking for the cover and when we're producing the magazine, it's but the cover particularly, you want it to look good when it's sat on someone's kind of coffee table. So it makes someone want to pick it up. Um, it's, it's that Trojan horse. It's the, it's the, you know. It's the first step. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you, you might not think of yourself as someone who really cares about these issues but if you can put this magazine in front of them you can start to communicate why this is so important exactly and especially at a time with like you said with trump and walls and stuff going on there's so much division and, and hatred and a lot of fake news and all of that you know jargon and nonsense and you know you kind of want people to say oh this looks interesting i'll pick it up and then suddenly they're getting all this incredibly valuable information so, so you're giving yourself a little bit more breathing space now in the production schedule. So you're doing six a year rather than 12. Yes. How many people are actually working on the magazine? So we've got production editor, yeah, which is Kelsey. Yeah. We've got four co-editors. Um, I was, am I counting myself? Yes, I am. We've got four <laughs> co-editors. Um, and uh, we have three designers um, who aren't just working full time in the magazine because we do lots of other things. We have a shop and a book publisher as well. Um, and so that's probably the, the the main the main set of people who are working on it. So and, yeah, and with New Internationalist, you have each issue. It's it stayed the same from its um, inception. Is you have a co-editor. I think it's from the beginning. It's always I think had it is, yeah. yeah one co-editor for the big the big story the mm-hmm. the big kind of main theme, um, which is always on the cover. Um, so it's one topic that goes a bit more in depth. Um, so you'll have one main editor that'll be in charge of the the big story that particular issue and then you'll have the other editors will be working on the outside sections and then since the redesign it used to be that the big story was the big chunk of the magazine and now the outside sections are kind of they've just totally expanded <laughs> so it's like a lot more work on the outside sections but that's quite fun because then you're getting um so I handled p- the pitches for the magazine and we have a monthly meeting um there's a small team of us and we 
manage what kind of is getting scheduled in for the upcoming mags and we have quite a long lead time so that's really hard the big story tends to be closer to the you know you plan well ahead i mean weeks and weeks and weeks ahead um what we're going to be covering and sometimes we get it really right um sometimes it's like we're just on the cusp but yeah most of the time we 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 actually get it yeah, pretty bang on in terms of topics, which is really hard. Though. Oh, no, there's a, um, I was speaking to uh, the editor of Anxia magazine uh, last year, and he was talking about <clears throat> magazines as being this uh, medium of the zeitgeist because you're having to try to figure out what's going to be relevant in three months' time. So you're constantly trying to figure out like what, what people care about. like What do they care about now and what are they yeah. going to care about then? So, so t- tell me a bit about... like. When does that particularly work for you? Give me like an issue that's come out and has just like really caught what people are talking about. In terms of recent stuff, just because it's in front of me right here also, the, so the November-December 2018 issue, which is called The Dirt on Waste, was about trash, uh, the insane amounts of industrial and household uh, plastic waste we all produce, and the effect this is having the environment um, on municipal governments and politics across the world. Um, and that was done by the co-editor Dinya, um, uh, Dinya Godrej, who's not here. And he would have pitched that to us and sort of done the outline maybe in July, probably. Mm-hmm. And it's the November-December issue. And then I, you know, just through pure luck, or I guess it was in the background and people were talking about it, a BBC documentary came out in November. I don't know if you watch it, about trash, about plastic, about the way we're clogging up our oceans. Mm-hmm. And then some other newspapers around the same time started doing these campaigns about we need to get rid of trash. Then there was the plastic. David Attenborough started talking about it. And exactly, yeah. And so all of a sudden this came out and we were like, yeah, of course. Yeah, we just we, we just knocked this up over the weekend. Uh, we're judging the temperature. And it ended up selling really well in the newsstand. Um, and so that was, um, it's, it's both luck, but it's also, as you say, it's, it's a kind of um, editorial, even political judgment. You need to look at That's the world... Cool try and step outside the, the social media feed and think what are the underlying factors here? What might play up in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a bit more easy. So for example, July, August, 2018, uh, which I edited, um, I knew in advance this was gonna be the 10 year anniversary of the financial crisis. And so obviously there was no, uh, there was, yeah, that was just um, uh, planning in advance because that happened in September, 2008. And so uh, March of last year, we knew this was happening, so I started planning that issue. Um, and that also worked out well because most magazines and other publications did their 10-year since the crash issues in September. Ours came out in July, August. <laughs> I think we just managed to... Beat uh, them to the punch. Yeah. The punch. <laughs> yeah. um, so everyone was sick of it by the time, hopefully, by the time they came <laughs> September. So, the, I mean, the, the way that you're working then, you're, you're planning things in advance. Uh, you're working with, again, for an independent magazine, a relatively big team working in a relatively stable environment again a lot of the people who i speak to you know if they're working in a team then they're like maybe dotted around the world or something i wonder how much of this comes down to the way that you're owned because you also have a really interesting structure for that maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that works uh, yeah, so New Internationalist, uh, not from right from the beginning, but from the late 80s, 90s, I think, has always been a cooperative. Um, so that basically means that, to put it simply, there are no bosses. Yeah, um, everyone is on a non-hierarchical, horizontal uh, structure, on an equal pay structure. Uh, and decisions are made collectively through 
meetings through co-op meetings and that's kind of the sovereign decision-making yeah. body uh, so when everyone meets up and you might make a proposal which you would, would have circulated a few days before and so on um, so and, and so for example in that meeting you've got the editorial team mm-hmm. who else is there you've got publications team so I'm kind of in as I kind of I'm on both mm-hmm. publications and editorial magazine editorial and you've got the mail order group which is the ethical shop we've got our designers We've got our central services team as well, so IT and office manager, um, and then we've got we've got two interns at the moment as well, so they're they're involved as well. So so everyone there gets a say on yeah. what's happening, and then yeah. you you also have like three thousand something owners oh, as well. Yeah. So and then two. So this is the kind of the biggest development we've had alongside the redesign, uh, is about a few years ago, two years, bef- ago, two years yeah. ago before I joined. Um, as you, you were talking earlier about all the, you know, the structural factors, all everyone, all small mag- magazines have been facing the last ten years. Um, we had seventy thousand print subscribers in the nineties. That's now about twenty thousand. Um, a few years ago, I think the team was sort of looking, the co-op was looking around and thinking we need to secure our future somehow uh, in a very um, uncertain environment economically and particularly for small magazines small left-wing magazines yeah. that focus on on social justice um and so what uh we decided to do was open our, ourselves up to what's called a cso community share offer and that basically means we had a campaign in which we said to our readers to our subscribers and to former subscribers and to anyone who just cared about independent journalism um if you want us you know, if you want us to continue, basically, we, you know, we framed it like that, you know, this is, this is make or break, then we're offering the ability for you to buy shares in New Internationalist. Um, they're not shares, you know, we're not on the stock market, uh, unsurprisingly, but they're, they're uh, sort of community shares in which you're buying a stake in something for a social return as opposed to an economic return. The idea being uh, a world in which these kind of magazines or New International exists is better because we can investigate stories, we can bring marginalised voices to the to the mainstream and so on. Um, so if you want this kind of thing to exist, then you can become part of us, basically. You can own part of us, is how we yeah. sold it. And uh, it was an incredible success, which I think yeah. surpassed the expectations, oh, surpassed yeah. of everyone in the team. Yeah. We doubled what we what we thought we were going to raise. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. It just kind of kept going and going and going. And I wasn't at New Internationalist when... CSO was going on, but I was kind of eagerly watching, and because um, I was an intern at NI before, and um, yeah, it was just incredible. And then to come back, because we both joined at a similar time as, mm-hmm. as editors, and yeah, it was really exciting. And then straight away, I think we got, I got approached to um, by a, co- a colleague to say, um, Kelsey, do you think you could take on leading the redesign um, process? So as Johan mentioned, cooperative kind of decision-making, it can be quite slow. Um, so when I got kind of given that task, I knew, because I had, had worked at Noon Sessions before, I knew how long these types of things take. And I couldn't imagine it kind of going as, as kind of smoothly and as relatively quickly as it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone was just brilliant throughout. I mean, we had uh, TCO um, who produce Huck magazine, Little White Lies, um, we approached them with the pitch saying, do you think you could take this on? And straight away, um, one of the people at TCO rang me and was like, I would love to do this. We would love to do this. This is amazing. We've been watching the CSO and oh, we just we just love to take it on. Um, so we began kind of the process there. And we 
had to do quite painful every week and I was in charge of rallying everyone together and doing these very painful editorial meetings where we'd have to go through the magazine and basically just pull it apart and just say does this work do we want to keep this and we to and fro and to and fro and to and fro and you know I think we we did pretty well I mean for if you do look at what Nunchash used to look like and then you look at it now it's it's a completely different magazine but obviously still has lots of the same elements. So we've got the same cartoonists that we had before. So there are elements of the old magazine that we've kept. And we thought that would be really good as well because it keeps that familiarity as well with the really, like, like I said, the diehard New Nunchashless fans. They'll recognize the same contributors as well. So we haven't kind of like, you know, gone away with everything, done away with everything that we used to do because what we used to do wasn't bad. It's just the format wasn't in keeping with what people would want to spend money on now okay so the painful work got done last year so that means you must have been looking at 2019 as like right this is our time here's where we start to do the things we want to do so what can people expect to see from the magazine this year well um yeah that's a good question (laughs) um well we've had uh, two issues out so far this year um no, three issues. No, two issues. Two. We're on the Sorry. third one. The third one's going into the studio in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. You'd think, <laughs> you'd think going bi-monthly would mean everything becomes really easy and you have all this spare time. It turns out this work just fills empty yeah. space. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, you still, you still uh, lose track of time and where you are. Um, but, yeah, so we've had the first issue, Jan Feb, um, which came out, uh, and that was on trade, um, trade in turmoil. Uh, and so that was um, also with our first illustrated cover, um, gave, since the redesign, I mean, uh, gave a chance to look in depth at the way the system of global trade has been changing, um, which, you know, might sound quite dry on the outside, but from what, as soon as you start reading it, uh, it's a really dramatic and exciting story, particularly with people like President Trump and so on, ripping up trade agreements and so on. Um, and so that was uh, how we started off. The next one, uh, March, April, is one that I edited, and it's about internationalism as an idea. So kind of harking back to what we were talking about at the beginning, um, the spirit, the, the idea behind it was, well, we have the word internationalist in our name. We say it all the time because we work there. <laughs> uh, it's in our email addresses. But actually, what does it mean? Um, does it mean anything to, to, to people who, who might have a passing interest in this kind of stuff? And so the idea was to kind of go back to first principles and say, in a very different world to the one in which this magazine was founded, what would it mean to be an internationalist today? And so that, I think, um, it was difficult to work out um, because it's a very fragmented world um, with all sorts of new alliances and coalitions and ideas and identities and everything. Um, But it was a very fun process to try and work these questions out. And I hope it would um, act in a way as a bit of a you know, having redesigned, having relaunched and having a magazine like this, it's a bit of like, this is who we are. It's like kind of staking our territory and saying, this is the kind of vision we have of the world and these are the kind of stories um, we want to tell. Fantastic. Well, this one's out on newsstands at the moment. So your next one is, what, April? will be the May-June mag, and that's going to be on climate change, which, yeah, very apt at the moment <laughs> yeah i hear it's quite a relevant topic yeah, yeah. <laughs> As, um yeah so i think that'll be another example one of those ones where we started thinking about it you know months ago and then the ipcc had this report which has been circulated a lot saying we have 12 years left or even less than that yeah. to 
not to save the planet, but to like try and reduce the worst effects of what we're doing to it. Yeah. Um, and so Hazel Healy, uh, who's a co-editor, who's like, you know, gone into environmental and climate issues a lot, and is an expert on that, has been putting it together. Yeah. It's uh, it's looking great. It's like I'm very I'm very excited for this one hitting yeah. the newsstands, and hopefully it's not going to be those kind of issues which uh, because it's the kind of topic which people find very depressing. Uh, very immobilizing because how many times can you read the sentence we're all going to die and uh, our leaders are doing nothing about it and like maintain the will to live but she's somehow managed to through staging interviews between conversations between activists and really incredible um, uh, designs information is beautiful um, have done uh, an infographic for it Um, I think it's going to be a really quite important issue actually one that um, gives a bit of hope Gives a bit of hope yeah. and gives an internationalist perspective on what is in many ways the most important issue facing us all today. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be May, June, June. right? And we're yeah. just trying to find a cover at the moment as well. So that's going to head over to Mag Culture and get some inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Go grab some inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thanks again for coming over. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Kelsey and Johan for coming over and speaking. And I hope they had a good time raiding the shelves in mag culture, looking for inspiration for their new cover. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can find lots more conversations with independent magazine makers in our archive. Just search SoundCloud or iTunes for Stack Magazines and you'll find all of our podcasts in there. And of course, if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver next week's episode as soon as it's ready. Speaking of next week, uh, the plan is I'm going to be going to the Edge Conference in Munich. So I'm going to try to record some conversations with some of the speakers uh, at the conference uh, and I'll get one of them edited and up as next week's episode. So uh, thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another one next week.